Blog Talk Radio. Radio Network. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. And now, here's today's show. Hello, and welcome to the Replenish Me Show, where women listen in to strategies to propel themselves to success. Good evening. I'm your host, Cordelia Gaffar, and I help women to have a body soul shift by using their emotions as a power source so that they can reframe their perspective with sweet talk and flow into their ultimate purpose. Do you need a body soul shift? Take, a, take the quiz at www.bodysoulshift.com. This evening, you're in for a treat. Our guest is none other than Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, and she is actually a beautiful lady that I met recently at the Success Women's Conference on the Gulf Coast in September. As a practicing board-certified internal medicine physician and author, speaker, and, of course, mother, she actually knows intimately what it is to be wiped out. And it's no wonder that she has found through her practice and her thousands upon thousands of patients that they also suffer from some form of rest deprivation. And that's what led her to her research for the book called Sacred Rest. So this evening, we will be discussing the seven types of rest and its effect on your productivity, relationships, and overall happiness. Welcome to the show, Dr. Dalton Smith. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy you're here. So just Tell me a little bit about your story, and um, I know you shared a little bit at the conference at what happened to you, and just for our listeners to hear a, a snapshot of that. Yes, well, it started off with me really just wanting, trying to to succeed, and to you know, we, as you were talking about, we were at the Success Women's Conference. I was sharing just kind of my journey to that because. When I had got to the point where I felt like I had reached my goals and I had succeeded and I had accomplished a lot of those things I was um, hoping for, I was not happy. I was so burned out. I had spent so much time focusing on reaching those goals that I hadn't taken the time to actually evaluate and analyze what I wanted to feel like when I got to that, that place of what I thought success was. Um, so I burned out and was unhappy and unfulfilled despite, you know, having my name and papers and on TV and all these other things that we look at and we think should define what success is. But for me, it really came down to having a life that not only looked good, but felt good living. Um, and I had, was successful at creating a life that looked good on the outside, but didn't feel good on the inside. And so that was the shift, the mind shift that I had to have 
uh, and really first determining what did what is true success, what does that really look like, and then how to go about recovering my life from the from the destruction and and the the turmoil that I'd allowed it to to get into. Yeah, that's that's a really good point because you're right. We do define success from the outside, right? How many um, publications we're in, how many TV shows we're featured in, and how many accolades. But how often are we feeling so empty? So it, it would seem, right, that rest is a simple process. But why then do so many people struggle with fatigue and insomnia, do you think? Well, I think it's because when we when we look at rest, most of us look at it as just this one big thing. You, you know, oftentimes I'll ask people, do you rest? And they'll say, yes, I rest on the weekend. And then when I ask them what they're doing, you know, sometimes they'll come back with, well, you know, I just kind of hang out or, you know, I'll watch TV or you know, watching some of the latest uh, shows, kind of catching up on shows and those kind of things. And so the next question I usually follow up with that is, when you're done, do you actually feel better? Do you feel like you, your energy is improved, your attitude's improved, your spirit's improved? Can you tell that something has been recovered, been restored in that process? And most people say, well, no, you know, I, you know, I took some time off, but I don't really feel any different. And I think that's what, what we miss. We look at rest as just as one big thing where, where rest has to be very specific to the area that you're depleted in. Because just trying to get anything and call it rest doesn't actually make us feel restored. That's true. And, you know, this, these words that you're using, specific and being intentional, it, it really makes a difference because um, that, that's what we're supposed to do with other parts of our life, right? But for some reason, when it comes to rest, we're just like, oh, it's rest, right? <laughs> yeah, we put it in this category where it's where we treat it like it's unimportant. Like, you know, I'll get to it when I get to it, and I got all this other work that I need to do. And so we, we kind of elevate the work and we downplay the rest without seeing how the two work together for us to actually bring our best selves to the table. So, you know, talking about being specific, I'm, I'm hoping that you can clarify for, for myself, actually, and our listeners what is exactly the distinction between sleep and rest? Isn't it the same thing? No. Um, and that's a great question because sleep, sleep is needed. But when we look at kind of the big scheme of things, sleep falls into a category of physical. You know, it's a physical process that, yes, it affects all the other aspects of our body, but it is primarily a physical component of our of our healing whereas rest what part of the research i've been doing is looking at how rest is divided up into seven different areas and so when you take sleep and you allow it to mean the same thing as rest it's as if you're saying the other six types of rest don't matter i'm just going to focus on the physical and the physical is going to fix the emotional the spiritual the the mental, the sensory, you know, that it's going to fix all these other things just by getting the one type of rest, the physical. And that's just not the case. So we have a, a large number of people who, yes, are sleep deprived, but their sleep deprivation is in part due to their rest deficit because it's, it's near impossible to have a good night's sleep if your mind's racing all night long. And you're, you know, you're running through your to-do list for the next day and you're thinking about all the conversations you wish you'd said differently um, or you're, you're you know, emotionally understrained for whatever reason, anxious or depressed. All of those things are going to ultimately affect your sleep. So rest and sleep do have a relationship where they impact each other, but they are not the same thing. Okay. All right, so I heard you kind of allude to what the other six are. So could you just um, list them off for us? And then maybe yeah, I, maybe let's just list it, and then we'll go back and define each one. Is that, is that okay? Yeah, that sounds great. The um, seven different types of physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative. 
And then if we're looking at each different, if I had to just um, kind of quickly define each, let's say, with a sentence, uh, you know, physical is basically relating to restoring the body. And that could look like decreasing muscle tension, trying to reduce headaches, improving your quality of sleep. It's undoing the damage we do to our physical body during the day. So people who sit at desk for long periods of time doing things to make sure their circulation stays adequate, their lymphatic system's working properly. Uh, mental has to do with quieting the cerebral background chatter that many of us battle with and being able to focus on things that matter. So you're not, your mind's not kind of split in different ways. You're not multitasking, um, constantly looking at different things at the same time and trying to process it all at the same time, but you're allowing your mind to get to that quiet space so you can, you can focus on a specific thing. Um, spiritual has to do with our own experiences with God and with others and, and our understanding of, of what's sacred and what's holy to us. Uh, emotional has to do with really being able to express our feelings, eliminating people-pleasing type behaviors, not getting caught up in pretenses and performance mode. Um, which is where a lot of people, particularly people who are in business, are very successful. They get caught up in um, performance mode, whether they think about it that way or not. Um, and that's just extra stress on the body and on the emotions because of um, you're not being authentic in those moments. So, and and you, you recognize that about yourself. Um, social has to do with having the wisdom to know how people affect you. Um, you know, we each have people who are life givers, who have a positive uh, effect on our lives. And then we have those people who are drainers, who are, have a negative effect on our lives. And those, those positions can change. You know, your, your kids could be a positive effect. And then there's times when things can be going on and they can be kind of be a drain. So being <laughs> able to recognize how someone's affecting you will help you be able to know when you need to replenish that, that social aspect. Because if you get caught up in relationships, and women do this a lot, they'll have their best friend, and their best friend may be one of those people who is a constant drain because they are looking at you as the positive person. So they're constantly bringing their problems to you, and they, they don't take into consideration that there needs to be some balance there. Because otherwise, that relationship, you're not going to want to continue in it because it keeps pulling you down. It's never uplifting to you. Um, right. The last two are sensory. Um, sensory rest has to do with evaluating just the constant sensory input that we are experiencing, whether that's the amount of time you spend on electronics, whether, at, whether that be at work or at home, um, the kind of lights and sounds and uh, smells that are around your atmosphere. You know, a lot of people are unaware of just how much noise that they're constantly in, um, whether that's if you're in like a cubicle type setting where there's a background hum in the office, but, all, but your body responds to that. So some people are, are chronically under a level of stress because of this overload that they may not even be aware of because it's just, they just write it off. They're not paying attention to it. And then finally, creative rest has to do with the ability to allow beauty to inspire awe and wonder inside of us. All of us are created to want to be awed and inspired. And we sometimes will put that as, you know, if I have time that I'll, you know, I'll appreciate nature or find some time to, to get out and do something that is, um, allows me to create art and beauty. But those things are seen as extras and not as a part of the process of restoring our creative and our innovative side of ourselves. So how do creative people, whether they are artistic or if they're creative in ways that are innovative, like entrepreneurs and um, people who are in IT, I find have a big drain on their creative breath. Those people need that that kind of inspiration to help them be able to do their jobs better. Wow, that that is um, you know there some of those on that list kind of surprised me actually. I wouldn't have expected some of those words to come up. Creative and um, sensory. You're you're right. Those are quite overlooked. Um, I'm going to ask you a few more questions about that specifically, but before I do that, I want to invite um, people to call in. This is a live show. Um, call in at 646-716-9397 to ask Dr. Dalton Smith 
about the seven types of rest. She's just listed them all for us and given us a brief description of each one. Um, I'll just read back the list and then I'm going to ask her some specific questions. Um, so, of course, she said physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, creative, social, and sensory. I know they're out of order, but um, I wanted to ask specifically because um, creative and sensory stood out for me. For me, when you were given the description of creative and sensory, um, aren't they a little bit similar in a way because you can take in beauty from being in nature, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But, and and you can also um, dull the effects of um, artificial sensory overload by going into nature. So can you just kind of distinguish those two for me? I know probably listeners are a lot smarter than I am, but just, yeah. Yeah, no problem. Um, Sensory, when we're looking at it, we're looking at trying to, to really to downgrade the sensory input. So for sensory rest, the type of things that we look at are, are really more solitude and, and spending time in darkness. So mm-hmm. a lot of people will have constant you know, noise in their background, whether that's at work or then they go in the car and they play the radio or their music, or if they're at home, if they're a, a stay-at-home mom or something, they may have kids singing or talking or whatever in the background, TVs playing. So with sensory rest, we're not so much looking at getting out in nature. That is kind of more of the creative rest aspect of it because in nature you still have sounds and you still have light. So you're, you can't deprive the senses because you're, you're still using the senses to do the creative rest. But mm. for sensory rest, you're trying to diminish that input. So that's when you're looking at things like, let's say if you're working on your computer, just a really basic type of sensory rest. Working on mm-hmm. your computer, you notice all of a sudden you're having a lot of eye strain. Your eyes are hurting. You're having a headache. You know, you can tell that just being on the computer for a long time is affecting you. A very simple sensory rest exercise is to spend a couple of minutes with your eyes closed. And, I mean, you mm-hmm. can even try that right now. Just in the closing of the eyes, you diminish the amount of light input that's going in, which causes an instant calming to the body because you're depriving one of the senses. Um, the same thing is when sometimes when people... Um, say they're feeling overly anxious about a situation, um, having some time just in a room by themselves, not necessarily having the lights off or anything like that, but just in a quiet room. I find that um, people, for instance, I have someone who whose job requires them to speak to speak in front of people to do public speaking, but they don't like public speaking, and that's very stressful for them. So what they do is before they ever go out on the stage where, you know, the lights are in your face, everybody's looking at you, it's a very high sensory input environment, they spend 30 minutes in the green room by themselves. Now, the green room mm-hmm. is well lit, but there's no one there. And so there's no music playing, there's no sound, it's just them in silence. And that allows them to kind of get that grounding, that little bit of sensory rest that helps them calm down. And if they want to, they can close their eyes you know, to add to that silence and then have that light deprivation aspect of it as well. So that's the sensory part. And then the creative part is you're actually wanting to appreciate beauty and have that beauty do something inside of you. So that could be, some people it is nature. There's a lot of studies that show that people who, um, that, that people tend to have this effect when they're around bodies of water. You'll find a lot of people that say, you know, when I'm at the beach, I just feel calm. And there's studies that have been coming out of England that talks about MRI testing that was done that showed um, that there were actually changes they could see in the brain and the centers that have to do with emotions and happiness, that when people were looking at greens and bodies of water, that there was an activity in these areas. And so that's kind of more of what the creative part is. It's something being being awakened uh, to being kind of ignited inside of you from the beauty. So that could be nature. That could be art, works of art. Um, I have friends who are just really into music. And if they're listening to 
kind of a beautiful um, string instrument um, orchestra that's playing. And, you know, they just have this kind of out-of-body experience where they're just really <laughs> just into the experience. You know, that does nothing for me because that doesn't, that's not where I get creative rest from. But for people who are into that, that may be part of how they restore that creativity side of themselves. I okay. I really see the the clear distinction there. So one is about awakening, and one is about diminishing. So yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Perfect. Um, and I, and I like the different um, study that you brought up about um, the brain waves actually changing as a result of experiencing different types of nature. Um, so. When you mention emotional rest, you said that it's when you no longer feel the need to perform. Mm-hmm. Can you say a little bit about this also? Well, the best way I can probably describe that is just to give a, a personal example. You know, as a physician, I'm when I'm going to see someone at the ICU or in the ER, patient of what I'm going to be like. So my normal personality when I'm hanging out with friends or you know, just with my family, I have a tendency to be kind of a jokester. I like to, I I like to kind of crack jokes and do things like that. And I'm kind of goofy and funny. And so that's my normal behavior around the people who know me well. When I'm in the ER or the ICU, I can't be myself. You know, I can't just treat them like I treat my family and my friends. There's a level of inauthenticity that goes with what we classify as being professional. And so you you are not necessarily not being yourself, but you are having to kind of dampen down some of your normal tendencies to be what people expect in that position. And so there's a stress that goes with that. And so your your inauthenticity is not necessarily because you're trying to deceive them, but you're trying to honor their level of expectation for that particular role or that job or whatever it is that you are, you know, that you're in that has you in that standing. And so what I try to make sure that people understand is that with emotional rest, there have to be people in your life where you can 100% be who you are authentically. Yes. I there have to be those people in your life that you can be that 100% authentic because otherwise you're constantly in that performance mode and that feels like that feels stressful. And so oftentimes people who have um, jobs where they are in the public eye, they may have very few people in their life where they can just be themselves, but they have to have someone where they can let their guard down and let them know how they're truly feeling, not feel like they have to hide things all the time. Because the problem with that is when you constantly feel as if you're having to kind of be inauthentic, it starts playing with your mind that something's wrong with you as is, that your authentic self is not okay. And it is okay, but it's not okay in every situation. It's, it's the, the reality of it in certain jobs. Absolutely. I understand what you're saying because um, I, I was an accountant in um, corporate. So, you know, as much as you want to make light of a heavy situation, <laughs> you can't exactly present um, – facts and figures to the CEO as, you know, oh, well, you know, things are looking too good. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> you Even if that's be- what you would say to a friend, you know, right? Uh, and, it, and they would just laugh with you and, and go on about your business, you know, go on about their business. But with, like you said, with an employer, that could very well get you fired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doesn't really work like that. <laughs> So, okay, yeah, and and that's a good point. So um, a lot of people talk about work stress, and and you're bringing up a lot of good points here. So, like, just the stress of the environment with the lights and, you know, we're using all this technology now that we didn't use, like, decades ago, and then we have to be a different person, and then we have to use our brain all day, right? So there's the mental stress, and then there's the physical stress of being in awkward positions because the human body is meant to move not to sit all day Mm -hmm. so there is like really a lot going on there 
Um, and, and of course, you know, I guess depending on your, your um, profession, you, you probably don't have too much creative outlet at work and, and um, yeah, the social situation isn't always best either. So, I mean, just working all day long, you're, you're actually having all these types of rest depleted and then you still have that commute home <laughs> and, um, and then you have to, once you get home, you know, dealing with your family. So um, I guess let's talk a little bit for a minute. How does the work environment overall have, uh, what effect does it have on our rest? Well, it depends on the type of rest that you, uh, type of work rather that you do, because each type of work has its own propensity to have an increased risk of, of being deficient in a certain type of rest. Um, for example, if you are a um, school teacher or a school counselor or something like that, where you're working um, with kids and you know you're, there's a lot of movement and activity and noise and stuff going on, I mean you could very easily be- become deficient in mental, emotional, social, and sensory all at the same time yeah. because you're yeah. having to use your mind to teach and you're having to deal with different kids and attitudes and emotions and some kids are drainers, some kids are are going to be, you know, more life-giving and be more, you know, make you feel like a teacher and other ones are going to make you feel like you want to go home. And then, you know, <laughs> the sensory input of just, just the noise uh, of depending on the age yeah. of the kids that you're dealing with. So, you know, one job can have all of those being drained on a repetitive basis. And if that teacher, let's say, goes home and her only way of recovering rest is she's going to prop her feet up for a few minutes, you know, maybe in silence um, and with, you know, with the lights dim. So, okay, so she's getting a little bit of sensory deprivation. You know, she's able to quiet her mind down and kind of clear out her cerebral thoughts, her background chatter. She may be getting a little bit of mental, but is she getting any emotional? Is she specifically putting herself in positions and around people whose presence actually give her uh, this feeling of getting life back because there's power in the, in being in the presence of people who are life giving with you. And those are the ones that we tend to be more authentic with because we feel accepted and we feel uh, loved and cared for in the presence. So, you know, she could very well be getting two of them, but the other two, she may not even recognize she needs. And so uh, as adults, a lot of times friendships get pushed aside for family. So we spend a lot of time, you know, at work, and then what little time we have left, we want to give it all to family. And, you know, even that family time is not feeding into our emotional and social rest that we need because it's all business and it's, there's no rest in it. Um, one of the big things I've, I've been finding just in, in couples sending me emails is that um, one of the things that, that a lot of couples are getting from the book is this need to reconnect as a couple, the social rest and the emotional rest that is available as a couple um, just by doing some basic things like, um, but like spending some time face-to-face, eye-to-eye, looking at each other and not just in the same room looking at other stuff, looking at your computers or your TV or your kids or whatever, but actually looking at each other. Because um, the eye-to-eye contact um, kind of brings in a level of emotional and social rest that is not as common now in our society as it has been in the past. We've got too many gadgets. We can, you know, in the past, your coworker, you had a beef with your coworker, you got up from your chair, you went over to their office, and you had it out face-to-face. Now you can talk about each other on social media and never have to look at each other in the face, cuss each other out, nobody, you know, <laughs> and you never yeah. have to be in front of each other. So. It's taken away that bit of personal connection that is really beneficial, that really helps us in healthy relationships um, in that, just the power of someone's presence, being in their presence. That's true. And as you were saying that, you know, the image that came to mind was babies, right? So uh, small children under two, for sure, they need that eye-to-eye, face-to-face contact. And we forget um, that 
that that's where compassion comes from and grows from. And we forget that that's a very integral part to our intimate relationships, right, with our spouses. So that was that, that was a really great point. <laughs> it's just basic nurturing, basically, right? It is, and that's one thing that I, I try to make sure people realize. You know, when I tell them, you know, there's seven types of rest, and you may be missing out on two or three of them, depending on how depleted you feel. You know, the first thing people think is that, oh, my God, something else I've got to do, you know, and they think their to-do list is about to blow up. But the reality is that the types of things needed to restore these seven types of rest are not, do not require large amounts of time investment. It is just repurposing the time you're already spending on a lot of these activities to be very specific and identifying this is what I'm restoring. And that's one of the key things I tell my patients and my my coaching clients is that I, I identify it. If you say you're going to spend the weekend resting, what type of rest are you trying to restore and what is being restored specifically? How are you going to restore that? If you feel depleted in your emotions, what specifically are you going to try to do to restore your emotional rest? Exactly. Well, I think that this is a good stopping point. Again, I'm going to invite people to call in and talk to our guests. The call-in number is 646-716-9397. And while we're at this breaking point, I also want to invite you to tune in next week to Undivided with Frank Maduri's um, topic, Telling the Truth to Heal Yourself. The first and third Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Frank Maduri has his show Undivided on very um, thought-provoking topics. So do tune in next Wednesday for Telling the Truth to Heal Yourself. And I also would like to invite you to uh, invest in Dr. Dalton Smith's recent release, which is Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity. And this is the conversation we're having today. It's including groundbreaking insight on the seven types of rest needed to optimize your productivity, increase your overall happiness, and live your best life. And she has shared many tips and strategies here for us to reflect on and ways to do things. And she's also shared her tips on emerging faith in medicine over, with over 16,000 healthcare professionals to encourage the current and next generation of doctors to treat people as a whole person. And with that, I want to invite you to her website, ichoosemybestlife.com. So in this next segment, um, I just want to talk a little bit about some of the resources that you may have on your website or ways that people can connect with you. Yes. Well, one you mentioned I Choose My Best Life. That's uh, one of the, the best ways to kind of see everything that's available, everything's housed in that uh, one site. But I would um, recommend that anyone who is tired, who has um, visited maybe even their doctor and the doctor said they can't find a reason why you're tired all the time or they're telling you just to go get more sleep, but you're still feeling as if you are not at your, your peak performance. You're not at your best. You're staying drained. To check out the, my free uh, rest deficit assessment at restquiz.com, uh, once they take the quiz, they'll get a full assessment that will tell them where they rank in the seven types of rest um, so that they'll be able to tell which ones that they are most deficient in. So it will make it a little bit easier when you're trying to focus your attention on what type of rest you're missing and what needs to be repleted in your life. That, that's a really good point. Quizzes are such a great way to highlight um, where we're deficient or where we may be successful and not even realize it. So that's, that's really great that you put it into a quiz. Um, one thing I, you know, I want to pull out is that your book has a lot of teaching stories. And I, I was just wondering if you can share your favorite with us. Well, my favorite, I think, is probably the very first one I share about a young woman who was 
well, she was driving home from work is what she was doing. Um, and mm-hmm. she was using that time, her drive time, her commute time as her time to kind of zone out and to kind of clear her mind, uh, which is, a, just a, as an aside, is a horrible idea, <laughs> uh, especially <laughs> if you live in a city with any type of traffic. You, you don't want your defenses to be down when you're in a car and there's cars going 70, 80 on either side of you because your reaction right. time goes down. So the risk of, of wrecking goes uh, high. And so that's what particularly happened with this young woman. She was kind of zoning out, as she put it, um, as she was driving, trying to unwind from her busy day and trying to do it in the car while she was driving home. Well, you know, somebody braked unexpectedly and she didn't catch the braking and they end up colliding. Now, she ended up with, uh, with lots of injuries. Um, was in the, when, I, when I entered her life was when she was in the ICU and was just waking up from having, you know, gone through, uh, you know, surgeries and all sorts of different things. And she was looking at a very long recovery period because yeah. of the number, level of injuries that she had. Um, and when I was talking with her, as we were kind of working through her hospital course, and we were getting kind of to the, the kind of what I call where we're right about to get ready to, to go home. We're not quite there, but we have like maybe another week of rehab to kind of really get to where you're, where I feel comfortable with you leaving the, the hospital. Um, right. she, she got to the point where we were able to, you know, actually have conversations. It wasn't just about, oh, you know, or how is your lung puncture doing today kind of thing while she's on the vent, but she's actually right. able to have conversation. And it was during that time when I was asking her, you know, I asked, what I asked her was, you know, how is it going? How are you doing today? And I think being in the hospital was the first time that she had slowed down long enough to really take a good look at her life. Mm-hmm. And, and what came out of just a very, you know, benign question, I wasn't asking a deep question. <laughs> I was asking her, right. just, her medical doctor. She, she came back with some statements that just really floored me. She started talking about how... Um, she knew she probably needed to slow down, but had it not been for that accident, she would have never taken, you know, a two-week vacation to, to kind of get her <laughs> life back on track. She would have just kept running off course. And she's mm. like, it's amazing how something that I didn't want, didn't ask for, you know, and, and can't even honestly say I'm happy happened, but how <laughs> much it affected my life and how I can see that, you know, I don't want to be the person I was that, that got me in that car needing to zone out, you know, just to be able to face my family when I got home and not be mm. screaming at them because I was so overstressed or overstrained. And so that, that really helped me to start, kind of look at how most of us are living. A lot of us are living like that. We won't take the time off to, to relax. We, we, we kind of act like we are robots. You know, our computers have a Control-Alt-Delete button that if it starts spazzing out, we have no issue hitting it and doing a reset, but we refuse to do that in our own lives. And I, I, I question what logic has made us to think that we are more efficient than machines. Hmm. That's, that's a really good point. I, I often tell my clients that, you know, we're, we're, we're human beings, we're not machines, and we don't have any trouble making sure that our cars are getting regular maintenance, but for some reason we think our bodies can just run and go and go and go. <laughs> no yes, food, and no rest. <laughs> just not, you know. And it, it, it's ludicrous when you really think about it, um, you know, that we, that we even treat it like that. Um, oftentimes I find myself telling my patients, you know, this is the one body you get to do life with forever. Mm-hmm. You get one, one body to do life with forever. You can replace your phone. You can replace your car. You can replace your computer. You cannot replace this one body. So what are you going to do with the one that you got? You've got to start respecting it more than we do. We can't keep treating it as if we can just order another one on Amazon because it doesn't work like that. It doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. Um, so, well, I guess we just kind of covered, I was going to ask you, what are the long-term effects of focusing only on work and omitting regular periods of rest? But I think we just covered it with that story, huh? <laughs> yeah, there anything you, you burn that? out, basically. You end yeah. up burning out. And, and like I said, I'm not judging because I burned out. That's how I even got to the point of talking about this. Uh, <laughs> right. you know, I burned out. 
And so when, I, when I'm talking about rest, I'm not talking about it in the, the whole burnout phase of it. The, I'm a doctor. I, you know, I went to school for years to learn how the body works, and yet I did the same thing until I burned out. So I totally understand how, how the mindset kind of shifts that we can grind and grind and grind and just keep it going. But the thing is, all of us eventually will hit the wall. Because we are not machines. Eventually, the body will get to that kind of tipping point where it can't keep functioning like that. And it has to have a recovery period. And so I feel it helps to understand that that's going to happen for all of us. We have to get to a point of needing a recovery. And so if you're proactive in making sure you're getting regular periods of recovery, you never get to the tipping point. If you try to ignore it, then you'll just keep running along that track just as that young woman did. So eventually drastic things have to happen to wake up. Yeah, absolutely. So I like that you said, you know, you're a doctor, so you understand it. And you went through years and years of school to, you know, to study that. And, and let me just add in there. And she graduated with lots and lots of honors. So she really, really knows what she's talking about. Um, but still she's, you know, you're human and you did what we all do. So what are you doing? I see you're working a lot with other healthcare professionals, but um, would you say that this is the beginning of a campaign to get other doctors to really see their patients as a whole person? Yes. That's what I spend a lot of time doing at this point. Um, I speak at conferences and medical schools and speak with medical students because the, the way medicine is set up is that we actually, when medical school, the hours are ridiculous, we train doctors as if they're machines. You know, we're talking, you know, 15-hour days. I can, I can recall, you know, working some, some shifts that, honestly, I don't even know if I remembered what I did after I went to sleep because it was just so long being awake that you're just kind yeah. of running off fumes. And so we train doctors this way. And so part of it is really working within that system to try to help them to see that we we can't treat our medical staff as if they're machines. And we also can't treat our patients as if they are just these segmented illnesses. You know, I'm just going to treat the high blood pressure without looking at, uh, you know, how they're, what kind of foods they're eating or, you know, how they're treating their body or whether or not they're resting. It has to be a more holistic approach in order for us to get to a point in healthcare where we're not still spending billions of dollars, you know, um, always treating problems, that we finally get to a point where medicine is more um, preventative rather than um, retroactive and just treating things as they keep occurring. So do you think that there's a bridge, you know, between um, allopathic and holistic medicine? I mean, it sound, that sounds like what you are. I mean, like, basically, the way you're speaking, you sound like a naturopath, right? You don't sound like, like a regular MD. You sound like an ND, you know? No, I'm a regular MD. I write prescriptions every day. And that's the thing. I think, I think there has been a um, pulling apart of that where doctors who are MDs or allopathic doctors are looked at as if most of them just want to write prescriptions um, because I still have to write prescriptions. So some people's blood pressures need medicines first to bring it down. And then while we're working on that, we can still do the holistic part of it. And that's the thing. I think the two should be merged together. You know, a lot of, I have lots of friends who are on, um, who are um, in chiropractic medicine and they practice naturopathic therapies. And so when I have conversations with them, initially, um, and before we ever met, when we first meet and I'm having conversations with them, the very first things they often say are that you're not like those doctors I need. They, you know, they already kind of have a chip on their shoulder almost. That I'm going to act superior because I got a different degree. I th- we're all part of the same healthcare team. We have to stop having these um, chips that we, you know, think that someone thinks they're better than you are just because our degrees are different. I think it's supposed to work together. And so those are the kind of boundaries that I try to break down because it's killing people. It's killing medicine and it's killing people. You have, I have people who refuse to take pills because they think pills are, you know, evil. 
and they end up having a stroke because their pressure won't come down just by meditating. You know, we have mm-hmm. to be realistic in how the body works. It requires medicine with the holistic at the same time for people who are in desperate situations. Now, there are people who have, you know, your pressure is 138 over 90. Yes, we can try the meditation without the pill. Your pressure is 208 over 110. We need a pill to bring that down before you have a stroke while you're trying to meditate. Exactly. And thank you for bringing that distinction, right? Because, um, you know, quite often people, they they do just um, clock out. You know, they're just like, oh, you know, the doctors just want to throw pills at me. And um, and they don't really see the gravity of their situation. And, And meditation is great, but you're right. Some people, they do need medicine. So... Um, I appreciate you, like, making that super clear. Um, You made me think of something else also. Um, So do you find much resistance when you go to these conferences with the older generation of doctors um, looking at the whole patient, or is there more, or or do they welcome it? Because I feel like back when we were kids, we, our doctors kind of did see us as a whole person, you know, I think, I don't know where it fell apart. What, what, what have you seen? Um, it, it's mixed. I have some audiences where they are more than ready to jump on board. I'm finding that the up and coming generation of doctors, I would say um, the ones that are recently graduated from medical school and residency are um, already kind of looking at that as a, kind of their overall mindset, they're seeing medicine as more of a holistic um, science and not just kind of this one-sided write a pill and run. Um, Some of the older doctors, because of how they were initially trained, that was the training. The training was to focus on the medicine. And um, unfortunately, the way things are set up with insurance companies now, it really makes it hard if you want to be a doctor who looks at a, a patient as a whole. Because I typically, my a typical patient appointments for patients that are that are known to me. So return visits is about 20 minutes. And that's unheard of now in medicine. You know, most doctor's appointments are 10, 15 at the most. So, you know, if you have a 10 minute appointment with a patient, I mean, how much information can you get from them in that short of a period of time? Uh, In addition to the physical exam, the nurse doing her visit, and you're supposed to teach and teach them about the medicines too. So things kind of get pulled to the side and, you know, often what ends up happening is the patient just gets a handout on whatever the illness is. You know, oh, you have high blood pressure. Take this pill and read this handout. And the handout may have some holistic ideas, but the ideas aren't being stressed by the person who, the, who is the authority. Because sometimes right. having that person stress it will make it seem more important. So if the person only stresses take this pill, they deem that as being the only thing that's important. If they stress, with this pill, we're going to have you cut back on your salt intake and cut back on your soft drinks, and we're going to have you walk 15 minutes every day. You know, then they start looking like, oh, so this isn't just about the pill. There's some lifestyle stuff I'm going to have to do, too. And it helps the patient see that they have a part to play uh, in their own health care. Exactly. I like that. So tell me a little bit about your coaching side, um, side of your, your medical practice? Yeah, so um, in my medical practice, I solely practice medicine with the holistic teaching. And then there's um, times when someone will read one of my books and will um, mention that they're needing kind of a deeper level of interaction with me to maybe work through some type of limiting thought or emotional ties that, they're, that, that are affecting their ability to move forward. Um, or they're having difficulty kind of understanding how to apply rest in their specific situation. It may be a very unique situation for them. <clears throat> and so with those types of clients, I offer um, personal coaching, whether it's a one-hour session where they can, you know, just we can kind of go back and forth, kind of a, a quick mastermind conversation, brainstorming-type conversation, um, where their questions can be answered directly. Um, I don't <laughs> I don't practice medicine during those coaching sessions. In other words, I'm not going to diagnose their medical problems. 
I make sure right. they are aware that those are two different things that are being offered. If they want me as their physician, they have to come to the office for that. Um, but mm-hmm. it's more kind of the other aspects of, of, of healing, whether that's emotional, spiritual, mental, those types of things. And then I also offer kind of more in-depth and intensive four-week program where we, we have weekly calls and then we have you know, activities that they're doing throughout that month. And then a 12-week program for people who are, are really wanting kind of a, uh, a full look at how to, to not only just the personal aspect, but the professional aspect. Uh, oftentimes people will ask me, well, how did you get into publishing? Or how did you get into speaking or coaching? And they're, so they're wanting kind of the nuts and bolts part of that. But then they also are needing to break through some of their own personal mental bondage that keeps them from thinking that they can do the same thing or that they have the ability to offer something that someone will find valuable and want to invest in. And so that's the 12 week I choose my best life kind of intensive coaching. Um, And honestly, I, I love the coaching aspect of it because it allows me to not just focus on the, the medical stuff, but the stuff that oftentimes really makes the biggest difference. Um, Cause uh, you know, the mindset can really affect how someone progresses and moves forward. Yeah. I, I like how you actually light up when you're talking about your 12 week um, program. And that brings me to the book that I've actually been reading and referring back to ever since I met you. And I talked about it a little bit earlier this week on uh, one of my Facebook lives. And this is one that you were a 2016 Golden Scroll nonfiction book of the year winner for Set Free Mm -hmm. Live Free, Breaking Through the Seven Lies Women Tell Themselves. Now, I know we don't have a whole lot of time left, but I thought that it was really important to throw this in at the end because this portion of the show is really about how people can connect with you. And since my show focuses on women, um, I just wanted to maybe have you um, highlight where is it? Perfection is the goal because a lot of my listeners could benefit from that. So if you could just give us a little blurb on that. Yeah, that one's big. That's that's actually line number one. <laughs> line number <laughs> one. Because <laughs> that's and you know I, I'm very upfront with all my books. You know I talk about myself oftentimes and because whatever I'm writing usually is something that I've had to work through or deal with myself. And that's how, what I've always felt like is that, well, if I can't do it just right and have it just perfect, then I don't want to blog or I don't want to have a website or I don't want to get on a stage or I don't want to have a podcast or, you know, any of these things, if I can't get it just perfect. And when, you know, and that holds a lot of us back from making forward progression. So, because we we're waiting for this, perfection, whatever that is. And when I really started looking at, okay, so what am I waiting for? Because perfection to who? You know, if I say that's a perfect meal, I may think it's perfect and my husband may think it's horrible. And so when (laughs) we say perfection, it's like we're, we're, we're aiming at something that is constantly moving because my idea of perfection is not your idea of perfection. And so I, I, one of the things we do a lot in the coaching is reversing that thought process from perfection is the goal to striving for excellence because excellence has, is is open-ended. And so when I'm striving for excellence, first of all, I never reach a peak. Whereas if I ever reach perfection, whatever that is, that would be, (laughs) that would be the pinnacle. There'd be nowhere else to go, but down. But with excellence, excellence can keep, can keep going higher and higher and higher. And so when I'm aiming for excellence, that means I don't have to wait until all the pieces line up and everything looks a certain way. I just need to do it the best I can do with what I have. And I think that that frees a lot of people to take the first step. Because let's say if if you're someone um, who's listening and you thought, you know, I've always wanted to do coaching, but, you know, I don't have an assistant or I don't have this and I don't have that. Start with what you have. You know, Zoom is free. <laughs> you're yes, one, if you're right. one-on-one on the phone, Zoom is, Zoom is free. So you can have a Zoom coaching session and send your client a recorded video or audio of your coaching, 
and you look like a professional because you've provided them with something where they can go back and listen to your hour-long talks over and over and over again. That, uh, that's a free tip for somebody who's looking to get into coaching. Yeah. It's free. So, you know, there's so many different ways you can start this process without having to pay a bunch of money. You have just got to give yourself permission to begin. And once you give yourself that permission to begin, align up with people who have been there before can give you the extra tips you may not know. Because that, that has been probably one of the most beneficial things and why I like going to conferences like the Success Women's Conference, because too often we try to be islands. We try to do it all ourselves and we get into, and this is another one of the lies that, you know, we need to be competing against people that, you know, we can't be in the same space and be talking about the same thing unless we're competing. And that, that will keep you in a down position in, in uh, any type of success journey. Success comes when we're able to grow together, when we're able to help each other get higher and higher and higher. Some of the, the most um, beneficial opportunities I've had have been from other women who see that I'm working in the same arena they're working in, but what I'm talking about has enough uniqueness that, that, it would, that it would help their clientele go to another level, just like we're, this conversation we're having. And what ends yeah. up happening is we both elevate together. Whereas when we're trying to compete and trying to downplay another person's information or trying to kind of belittle them, it, it neither, neither grows. It keeps everything stagnant. And so there's just a lot of little pieces like that that help us get to the places we want to be to help us get to that level of success and thriving in every area of our lives. But it requires us to, to really take a hard look at the lies we're believing and then start replacing that with truth. I love it. It's almost like you're reading my mind because you know my last question is what is the greatest takeaway that our listeners could have from this conversation? And you just said that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love um, like what you said because I that's one of the reasons why I keep this podcast. It has become personal development for me and of course a great source of networking. I get I get to have cool conversations with people like you. And the people that are listening, you know, we can't be everything to everyone and you're not me and I'm not you. And, you know, people will listen to you and they'll be like, wow, she's got what I need. And, you know, I just, you know, we just help somebody. And, um, and that's so, you know, replenishing, right. And elevating for all of humanity to do that. So Absolutely. I really, yeah, I, I totally appreciate your time this evening, but, I mean, if you can, if you can think of anything else that you would like to add um, for our listeners at the very, very end, I, I don't know. That was just awesome what you just said. <laughs> I don't know if you can, <laughs> you can top that. Go ahead. Say something. <laughs> so the main thing would just be to just give yourself permission to rest because so often we're looking, you know, we, you know we're talking about permission, but, you know, we're always looking for permission to begin, but also most of us are looking for permission to stop. And so we, we keep thinking that we will rest when we reach something. Well, when I get done with this, then I'll have time to rest. Or when the kids get out of school or when this happens, then I'll rest. Or when I retire, then I'll rest. But we, we can't keep looking at it as this thing we're going to do in the future. It needs to be something that we're incorporating in our day-to-day activities so that we're, we're constantly staying restored and replenished. Because in order to really to pour out our best work, we can't be pouring out of empty. And that's where a lot of us are at. We're, we're tired all the time. We, we're mean-spirited because we don't have energy. And so, you know, we're walking around caffeinated and on our sugar high, trying to keep pushing and grinding. And there, there has to come a, a time when we, we recognize that that is not our best life, to be kind of living off the, um, off the fumes of what a good life should look like one that does have energy, one that is passionate, one that is, is really striving out of rest rather than waiting to rest when we reach some level uh, of success that can only happen when we get a life that we enjoy. Beautiful. You heard it here first from directly from Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. The seven types of rest. Go to her website, I Choose My Best Life. Um, and um, and get the book 
sacred rest, recover your life, renew your energy, restore your sanity, and replenish yourself. I appreciate your time, um, listeners coming in tonight, and for those of you who listen live, I appreciate you. Please share, because sharing is caring. If this helped you, it's probably going to help somebody else that you know. So please do share this. Um, It is evergreen on iTunes. And tune in on December 12th when um, uh, for our next episode of the Replenish Me Show. Thank you, Dr. Dalton, and have a beautiful evening. Thank you. Good night.